Who doesn't love little kids' Christmas pageants? Yeah, I, I do love those. I remember being a sheep. I, a couple of years running, I, don't, I must have had a sheep look. I was a timid little kid, too. Sometime this week, somebody in my house, I don't know who it was, pulled up some videos from uh, nine or ten years ago of uh, those two, sorry, as angels. They, Ruth Ann and Lorelai, tiny angels, so cute, like heart-stabbingly cute, you know. <laughs> oh, so cute. I love a Christmas pageant. One of the unintended side effects of a Christmas pageant for adults, not the kids, adults, is to soften and sentimentalize, we could say tame, what ought to hit us with awe, astonishment, wonder, joy. Children are always open to that. They are always open to wonder and joy, so it doesn't affect them. It's just us. Adults require reawakening, and the pageant doesn't do that. As we're moving closer to Christmas and the notes of longing are continuing to grow in us, that, that the stirring of longing, I pray that we might become more open to God's voice of reawakening, of stirring, that we'd be more attentive to what he did, to his own declarations about his movements. Because the coming of Jesus was and will be anything but sweet and cute. The coming of Jesus is not cute. And the angels can help remind us of that. Through Advent, we, we've been looking at the, the songs of Christmas. These are four prophetic speeches whereby the Holy Spirit uh, interpreted what God was doing at the time. He, he spoke through messengers and he gave, he gave an understanding of what he was doing. So we heard from Mary, Mary's song, the Magnificat. We heard Zechariah's song at the birth of John the Baptist. And today we look at the angels' song, announcing the birth of Christ to the shepherds out in the field, interpreting for us the meaning of this. And it's not cute. Why this song? Why this song? We're in Luke chapter 2. Why in this place? Why at this time? Compelled by the greatest political and military power in the world, this peasant family from Galilee, Joseph and Mary, had made a very untimely journey to Bethlehem. Very untimely. Nine months pregnant. Because they were compelled to register for the Roman census. Now, given the angelic visitations, Gabriel's visit to Mary, the vision to Joseph, Zechariah's prophecy, it, it seemed like God would have wanted to provide a stable entry for the king of, all, for the king of Israel. You would think, yes, 
the promised one, the one who's been waited for for centuries, if God is involved and this is his king, this is his Messiah, his Christ, surely he would make that a comfortable entry. This baby ought to have been born at Mary's parents' house with supportive family all around. That's how it ought to have been, right? It seems like there ought to have been a midwife. There ought to have been a birthing plan. Everything going according to plan. And yet here they are in Bethlehem. Alone. Alone. Friendless. With Joseph playing midwife. Men were typically not even in, allowed where the baby was where the baby was being born. Joseph is, is delivering the baby in a place where animals sleep and eat. Powerless people, vulnerable people. It seems all wrong. It seems it's wrong, it's strange. And yet it is also very like the lot of Israel in the world, the lot of this nation, the lot of this family, the big family that God had chosen. It somehow is fitting there. It's emblematic. And into this emblematic scene, a scene of the world's injustice, political powers that catch the vulnerable, there comes a stunning entrance. And this is the song. In the same region, there were shepherds. There were shepherds out in the field. These shepherds are outside of Jerusalem. They are keeping the flocks for the temple. These, these flocks are for temple sacrifice. So if people came from a distance and they needed to do sacrifice, they could purchase a lamb. They could purchase a sheep for the festivals. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. It's easy to read right through that. Just never skip a beat. This is where, oh yeah, then the angels do their bit. They say their bit. Cue the cute kids doing the lines. But we should stop. This should arrest us. The words on the page, they say, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the shepherds feared with exceeding fear. The King James says they were sore afraid, greatly afraid. So great is their fear that the angel has to say to them, fear not. Do not be afraid, just in order for them to be able to receive what he's saying. And this is very like uh, angelic speech. Wherever it appears in the Bible, it will undo a person. They have to say, do not be afraid, and it affects. It brings about what the words say. They are able then to receive. It, it seems that this glorious messenger is very likely the same Gabriel who has already delivered messages Two, he had visited Zechariah, visited Mary, and in each case he begins, do not be afraid. Another passage where Gabriel is described might be helpful to bring in here. This is from Daniel. Gabriel was sent three times to Daniel. 
each time, it almost destroys Daniel. One time in particular, Gabriel had come and had been resisted by a demonic power, the prince of Persia. And so he had come from combat to Daniel. As I was standing on the bank of the great river Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face as bright as lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. No strength was left in me. And before Gabriel can speak to him again, he has to veil his power. He has to veil his glory so that Daniel can encounter him. This is the archangel, freshly arrived from combat. So he has to veil his power. The weight of this glory is explained to Zechariah when... Gabriel comes to him. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. That's what he conveys. That's what that, that presence conveys is being with God, having been with him. That's what overwhelms frail humans. That's what we, the, the, the flesh, it can't take. Gabriel soaks in the goodness, in the glory the love and the power of God. He soaks in Godness. His name means strength or might of God. And he has to veil it or else break those that he visits. So fear not is a very fitting word. Fear not, I'm not going to destroy you. Now the message. I bring you Good news. I bring you the gospel. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then the air above the shepherds, this angel is joined by a multitude of the heavenly host, and that had to be terrifying. Just terrifying. These are the shining ones, the bright ones, the glorious ones. And there's a host of them. There's hundreds revealed on earth in their power. This is only one of three times in all the biblical narratives where a host from heaven is revealed as being active on the earth. Certainly they are often active. But in Joshua 5, outside Jericho, you remember Jericho where the walls fall down? Joshua sees a man standing before him with a sword unsheathed in hand. Are you for us or for our adversaries, Joshua says. And the angel replies, no. but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. 
Now I have come. Angel speak. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. I have nothing to do with your, your, your human relationships. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And I'm holy. Take off your sandals. And then in 2 Kings 6, Elisha, you remember this moment, he's trapped in a city of Samaria. He's surrounded by the army of Syria. And there's a servant with him who's terrified. And Elisha asks the Lord, open his eyes. And the servant suddenly can see into the unseen world. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Twice we get glimpses of the Lord's army sent out. One time they flatten the walls of a city. The second time they strike that whole army of the Syrians blind. So Elisha is able simply to escape. Angels have swords. In each of these occasions, they have swords. Whether they are stopping Balaam, you remember when the donkey speaks? An angel standing there with sword drawn. Or bringing punishment for King David's folly. When he numbered the people, an angel appears above the threshing floor on Mount Zion, the site where the temple would be built. And there's an angel there with sword unsheathed. Angels have swords. They bring to effect the mighty decrees of God. He decrees, they enact. But on the night of the advent, the army of light sings. They sing. Their swords are sheathed. But their voices declare victory. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace Goodwill towards men, or peace towards men with whom he is pleased. Peace towards those on whom his favor rests. Peace. God has goodwill. They bring glory, good news, and peace, and not a sword. Not a sword is seen. When the Prince of Peace arrives personally, no sword is needed. This word, the word of God, carries the day. There's no darkness that can stand before it. No darkness can stand before the incarnate word. And no angelic weapon is needed but praise. And that's what they bring. One wonders, one wonders, what these shining ones were thinking as, as they bring these praises and they're declaring this marvel, peace on earth. They're exploding the darkness. Contrast of their light. It, it exposes so sharply this moment. The, the fallen realms, the fallen state. And they're bringing heaven into that moment. They're, the heavenlies are open. And it's such a contrast. And we know this had to be a wonder to them. This enfleshing of God. The one that they know, in whose presence they stand, he's there, enfleshed. Through Peter, God tells us this, this incarnation was a mystery into which these angels longed to look. 
They wanted to understand this. What is certain is that they loved it. These beings made before the world was formed. They had looked on when the world was perfect. They had watched as God shaped the world. And they had watched that fountainhead be poisoned as Adam and Eve rejected the Lord's rule. They had watched, they had seen the corruption spread through this perfect order. God's beloved creation. They had watched the steady destruction of all that God had made good. They had watched us, our, our people, our kind, wrecking everything. These holy ones had watched it. 